0: welcome back to the poor sports podcast i'm alex akita he's casey McLean. we're, we're doing another remote today yes we, we really, we've taken this thing on the road quite a bit and by road i mean our respective houses
1: yeah the very opposite of the road we've been the very opposite
0: of the road yeah we've been home a lot of home games
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh we did one at your house last week i was buying a grill and then uh, we'll, I'll tell the grill story after we do the intro, but I, I used the grill to uh, to my peril.
0: You did, you, uh, there's been a lot to talk about with this grill. Last <laughs> week we shared the story of you purchasing the grill.
1: Yeah, surviving and, the purchase.
0: And though you survived the purchase, it appears you did not survive the setup of the grill, which is, that's uh, it's yes. showing your age. I immediately compared it to Kazuhiro Sasaki Yes. and of, of uh luggage carrying fame for those yeah. who don't recall the story but the former mariners closer once hurt himself carrying luggage upstairs or at least that was the story that came along with the injury do you
1: and, do you have it sounds like you have skepticism about the legitimacy of that story. no i
0: i believe oh i have skepticism about that injury yes i believe oh you. yeah I oh yeah I,
1: it's <laughs> obvious because for kazahiro sazaki there might be com- contract Contract implications—he could have been right. doing something that voided his contract or something like that. For me, there's no contract of any type. I was, and it's incredibly embarrassing. So I guess we'll—I'll we'll t- tell it right now because it's uh, because we're <laughs> we keep hinting at it. Is I uh, I bought this grill and I was gonna smoke a a chuck roast. Relatively inexpensive cut of meat. I always try to like as I'm learning something, not waste hundreds of dollars on really great cuts of meat. That's I haven't used one of these Weber kettle grills in like decades, and so uh, I'm like adjusting it and messing with it, lighting it. Finally, put the meat on, and I'm kind of trying to adjust the vents to get the temperature right. I squat down to adjust the bottom vent, and on my way back up, my knee pops, and it pops and I feel something tear. Oh, uh, like no. I, I, like I've never had a. I've broken bones before, but not to the degree where you're like I can see a broken. I've I've, I've known the bone is broken, yeah. but I'm not like in the way that we're like you're. This was like such a an acute feeling where I was like I I actually thought I must have torn a ligament, and okay now my dog is barking, uh, so I thought I tore a ligament and I. I, uh, the other thing was I like, I'm in my backyard. We have a picnic table. I go to get up from this squat, my knee pops, big tear feeling. And so I kind of just fall to this bench. And then from there it hurts incredibly badly, but also I can't straighten my leg.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I was That's like, bad.
1: yeah, it's I'm like, there's obviously something very, very wrong, And what had happened was I'll save the the histrionics of the whole thing, but I tore my meniscus and whatever the part that tore flapped into my knee hinge mechanism. And and so basically, as I tried to open my knee, it was like trying to close a door when something's caught in the, like between, yeah. It was like- See,
0: usually when you hear torn meniscus, that's, uh, it's not that bad, you know, especially in in sports, torn meniscuses are, you can overcome that pretty easily right but I've heard that if you tear it bad enough or you tear it in just the right way it can be incredibly painful and you know there's a lot of people like my friends and I joke that we we all think we've torn our meniscuses over time you know like I'm sure my my knees are so bad that (laughs) I know there's something going on in there I just don't want to pay to have it figured out and it's not unbearable enough for me to care right like I can just 20 years from now I might have some regrets but until then but I have heard that if you do it bad enough, it requires surgery and uh, you're going to be very uncomfortable until that happens.
1: Yeah. So, as of right now, the, the expectation is that I will not require surgery. Okay. Um, I
0: so will we'll this do for your athletic career? Well,
1: career. <laughs> so my I will, I'll, I will say the feeling of tearing isn't like a direct, I don't have that exact feeling, but the way that my knee popped, I do have that feeling. So, it's possible I've had this. A torn meniscus in the past because it is a familiar feeling. Yeah. Uh, The way it sits right now, basically a minimum of no golf for a month. Uh, And then in a month, my other kid is due. So probably realistically, two months. It's probably actually good because they recommend like four to eight weeks of reducing your activity. I'm sure if you're an athlete, they can give you something. They can do something to make to expedite the process, whether it's pain management or whatever. Yeah, I'm just gonna take it easy. I will say today is the first day that it's actually really started to feel better. Like okay. it's been bearable. Oh, so this is the the uh, the ironic story of this is. So my wife is eight months pregnant. She's not supposed to lift anything over 35 pounds, but she like you know she's aware of this when she gets home. This injury. And I'm like, babe, I'm so sorry, it's garbage day. I, I can't, I like can't bend my leg. There's no, I can't crutch. I'm literally like, I had, I was on crutches for like three hours basically. And I uh, get home and I like, I took, um, at one point I ordered lunch cause I had not eaten in that day. So it was, yeah. like, it was like 11 a.m. that the injury occurs. I hadn't eaten that day. Finally, we're like on the way home from the hospital and I order a burrito on Grubhub. The burrito gets there. It's a hassle to get it into the house because I'm either the choice is either cut crutches or crawling through my house. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I still can't straighten my leg. And then I go, I'm like, well, I don't have any water. I'd like to have at least a water with my meal. Getting a glass of water, I, I like trying to crutch, hold water, maintain my balance, kind of hop and crutch at the same time. I ended up, I like knocked a picture off the wall. I spilled half the water on the ground. And, uh, finally get back anyway so my wife gets home I've had all this this drama throughout the day and she's you know a trooper and uh but not thrilled about it she yeah. takes out the garbage she takes out the recycle she she uh, cooks dinner she does all the shit that I would normally do at this point in her pregnancy and it, you know it, it's kind of our dynamic as a relationship she does all the stuff that I would normally do we're sitting down to dinner and I tuck my foot up under my leg to just give it like a little bit of relief because i can't straighten it still and it's like this kind of partially straightened it's anything past 90 degrees just hurts like crazy so i stick it up like under my butt and i'm eating dinner and it's like you know a little bit of relief as we're eating dinner and i have it in this position that's somewhat comfortable and then i go to i'm gonna like move back uh, uh further on the couch so i go to straighten my leg a little bit and it just straightens all the way pain free <laughs> And so from my wife's perspective, it has to look like I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do my chores today. I don't want to do the shit that I'm I'm doing to contribute to this family. Yeah. And so the moment, suddenly her doing all that work was a cure for
0: my knee. <laughs> now it you're would, all better. You'll yeah. do anything to get out of some chores.
1: That's right. Uh, <laughs> it was not a cure. My, my knee is still pretty fucked up, but uh, it's significantly better than it was, which is good. And the fact that there's no surgery at this point, um, and I, I actually think also this is my understanding my limited understanding of meniscuses menisci i feel like should be the plural uh i don't think they really heal i think they just kind of exist in their damaged state and then you have to decide at some point to get it like repaired yeah and so i think even if i was gonna get surgery i'm probably gonna wait till long after my my second daughter is born because yeah i don't don't
0: think it's something you have to uh, almost A lot of the guys I know, you know, I I still play some occasional sports and uh, a lot of torn meniscuses out there that no one has done anything about. And like I said, we'll probably all have arthritic knees when we're in our senior years and regret that we didn't handle these things at the time. But I also knew a guy who once, like, quit in the middle of a softball season to have his meniscus repaired and everybody made fun of him for it. So (laughs) (laughs) I was like, are you really sure you need to do this, man? Like, you're not – much of an athlete, I think it'll be fine.
1: Yeah, I know. I had, a, I had a buddy that asked me to, he's like, do you want to play nine holes? And I'm like, dude, I uh, tore my meniscus like three days ago. And he's like, oh, I didn't know you were a pussy. Sorry. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it, like I, I did it. It was bad. Like it was a bad, it wasn't like a tear that's, you know, there's like with COVID, there was like asymptomatic COVID. This was not an asymptomatic tear of my meniscus. Yeah. I had a, it was like, it hurt very badly. It still hurts. I'm still like icing it every night. I'm in a brace. I, yeah. I have like a compression sleeve on it. Uh, like now, twenty four hours of the day, like it is a thing. It's like a real like injury,
0: Patrick Ewing, but but not playing <laughs> basketball, just just doing things, normal things. Yeah, the the unfortunate thing about your injury is it's one that people don't have a ton of sympathy for, right? And well, uh, and
1: I and I did it in the most embarrassing way, yeah. Too. And
0: and the way that you did it is not redeeming in any, yeah, <laughs> in any way. At least yeah. you were doing something you loved.
1: That's true. He died doing something he loved, and by died we mean he faced his own mortality. In it's the like when
0: a... when you hear about somebody who dies from like autoerotic asphyxiation, you're like, well, they're never going to live that down. But at least they were doing something they loved.
1: At least they got <laughs> to die before they had to live it down. You know, they died
0: in the happiest possible way. I'm sure. I'm sure it was the peak of what they were searching for. Uh, <laughs> oh. they, they reached euphoria. <laughs>
1: That's how, do you have you ever heard the thing that there's like a lot of speculation that a lot of basically you know how it used to be you know this is a serious topic Alex that we're going to make light of but <laughs> they used to uh used to be that suicide was the most dishonorable way to die. And then we found out about autoerotic asphyxiation. And a lot of times people apparently will die from that. And their family's like, can we just say he committed suicide for the love of God? Because it's so much less painful.
0: There's not a lot of awareness out there around autoerotic asphyxiation. No one's taking up a charity or creating a hotline for you to call if you have a problem with that. If you have a problem with that, no one wants to hear about it. That's yeah. all you,
1: man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh anyways, that's uh, I I will say I got back on the saddle, I grilled the chuck steak, uh, chuck roast yesterday. Um I my dad my you know, it's tough as you get older and you're an adult because your uh your understanding of your parents changes because I was like uh my dad just did a bunch of annoying stuff while I was he was also like saving me basically, you know what I mean? Like he came to my house and he's like helping me get into his car. He takes me to urgent care in the hospital, the hospital. And that's all very nice. But I was like, Hey, just throw the fucking roast away. I like close the vents, (laughs) just close the vents. I'll deal with the roast later. Don't worry about it. He takes it out of the, the smoker or the grill and puts it in my fridge, but not like we don't, you know, we don't have a fridge that's, we don't have Marie Kondo's fridge, okay? We have a lot of <laughs> shit in our fridge. And fitting a seasoned and open chuck roast in it is not very convenient. So we just have this like random chuck roast like dripping blood in our fucking refrigerator because yeah. he's trying to do but also we have a refrigerator in our garage. He could have easily put it in the garage refrigerator, but no, he put it in the one where uh <laughs>
0: He was doing his best, man.
1: He was trying. He was trying. Yeah. I'm very self conscious now that I can see myself that my hat is like insanely off kilter. But anyway, uh,
0: oh, I, get, I get I get caught up on the. I, I tend to do a little left hand tilt with my hat, like I'm sure. Fernando Rodney or something, <laughs> and I'll notice it. Like I, I, that's just what feels comfortable to me, right? Sure. Like I, I don't intend to look like I'm one of the worst closers ever. That's just what happens. And so I'm very conscious of tilting it back to the right. Anytime I wear a hat, which is sure. pretty much all the time.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, the, uh, yeah. If, when we do this in person, I don't have to look at myself the whole time, but that's true on this. I do
0: uh, We got a lot of things to talk about today. We, we should probably set up our, our show here um, in a minute. I'll let you, I'll let you promote your upcoming shows, which may be standing, maybe sitting, we don't really know how you'll feel that day. I did do
1: stand-up yesterday, I will say that.
0: Okay, good, good. Um, We've got some sports journalism news we should talk about. I think we can just roll that into the fold of our topics. I know it was part of our intro, but I think your meniscus story is really the highlight of any intro. (laughs) Um, So we'll we'll talk about our sports journalism story here. Uh, There's a story out of golf. Uh, It's not exactly what you think, so we'll touch on that. You might have seen some videos around it. Uh there's this is like championship week. A bunch of you know, hockey and basketball have championships this week. So we yes. gotta talk about those. Um there's some there's some combat sports news involving um a mascot.
1: And a longtime champion.
0: And uh, yeah, exactly. And uh of course the ongoing saga of the Oakland A's, which has another wrinkle to it this week. I was kind of surprised. I almost thought of putting this on here, but I think we might be able to roll this in the next week. Uh, have you heard about Zion Williamson?
1: Oh, yes. I actually, this was, I put this <laughs> list of topics together this morning and I, I have heard of the situation with Zion Williamson, but I'm not convinced I understand. Like it's, I feel like it's a little like the John Morant thing where I'm like, I don't really get where the story is. Like, I get that we care about this, but like, what is the, unless I'm missing something?
0: No, I don't think, I don't think you're missing much. Uh, The story is basically that he is uh, stringing along multiple porn stars.
1: Zion likes to fuck. He, and
0: he has a, he has a type and that type is porn star apparently. And now they're all finding out about each other and they're none too happy about it. As it turns out, he's at least, he's got at least one pregnant. I know that. He's got at least one that's been mad at him on the Internet, which is never good. Sure. And there's at least one more in there somewhere, too. So um, but we can talk about that more next week because it is still a developing story. And I would say anybody who's listening to this right now, go go investigate that story for us. So that next week you're prepared to talk about this in great depth. But before we, we get this
1: are we gonna have like a Zion Williamson correspondent next week? Is that what you're saying? We should. We should have a
0: Zion correspondent <laughs> live from
1: Memphis. Or what yeah. no New Orleans. Sorry. <laughs> New Memphis <laughs> is uh, yeah. where old Jaw is.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of jokes going around about those too, John Morant and Zion Williamson right now, and rightfully so. I mean, they were they were the highlights of their own draft class, and now here they are they're not exactly throwing their careers away, but they're not helping their careers in any way. So, yeah,
1: I do think the NBA is the most forgiving of a, a uh, sexual controversy of any of the leagues.
0: Yeah. I I mean, this is hardly a sexual controversy too. I mean, this is like Nick Cannon level stuff and he seems to be doing fine. So the problem is Zion is just, hasn't been that good on the court. You know, at least John Moran has been a good basketball player when he's not shooting guns.
1: (laughs) Nick, Nick Cannon has been able to, uh impregnate several women and be incredibly anti-semitic and we're just like yeah how many more shows do you want to host uh nick cannon
0: (laughs) yeah he's uh he's a special case for sure but yes zion williamson we'll talk a little bit about that next week um before we get into our topics though where are you going to be the next few weeks
1: yeah so the uh this week i am um, i have a lot of shows and i don't know the venues on all these but you know if you live in these cities it's the probably the only comedy show happening in town on uh thursday i will be in rockport washington would wherever that is whatever that is i don't it sounds know like the coast yeah you would think so i think i did look it up on a map and it said skagit county which i believe is wow. like north of uh snohomish county yeah um But I didn't, I literally didn't zoom the map out. I just saw Skagit County and I was like, okay, well, I know I got to drive a long ways for this one. It's going to suck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) On uh, Friday, I'm opening for Josh Blue at the Capitol Theater in Olympia. It's going to be close to the largest crowd I've ever performed in front of. Um, Also, if you're not familiar, Josh Blue has uh, cerebral palsy, I believe. Um, Oh, now I should, I feel like a dickhead if that's wrong uh hold on let's let's before i let me let me make my uh my correction if i have to.
0: you know he's probably out there telling people you have a torn meniscus so it's that's fine. true you that's know. true Same he does way. have
1: he does have cerebral palsy well that's the funny thing is like uh it's i got booked on that show and then i went and got a limp like i'm fucking trying to fit into this uh <laughs> <laughs> he's uh but he's like i mean first off it's going to be like almost 800 people that's the very close that's to great. the largest crowd i've performed in front of um and their tickets are all sold out so i'm just bragging at this point and then on uh saturday i will be in ellensburg at again probably the only comedy show in town i would hope if we're competing with someone we're fucked in uh in the city of ellensburg and then the big dog oh june 16th also by the way is the bickerson's uh, the second show at Bickerson's Brew House. I will not be there, but my my buddy Josh Firestein will be there. Um, my friend Lynette Manning, and then my buddy. Uh, I said friend, buddy, and friend, uh, or other way around. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they the, they mean the same thing to me. These are synonyms. Uh, Alex Kaufman is uh, guest hosting, and he's a real funny guy, real dark guy. I was on a on the poster that I put up, my low effort Instagram poster. I love. Putting extra effort into making a poster look like shit—I genuinely enjoy that. Uh,
0: the you use uh, PowerPoint for your posters?
1: No, this time I just took a screenshot of the Notes app on my computer. <laughs> Sometimes even will, better. I've used Excel before, where I like even insert an image into Excel and then take a screen. I yeah. very much enjoy that. But I put on there that uh, two of the comics on that show are parents, and one of them should never be allowed to have children. Alex is the never be allowed to have children person. All right. I just I just don't think Alex's should be allowed to have children. So it's wow. been a real conflict as a podcast.
0: Well the thing you don't know about me is I'm just like Zion Williamson. So
1: <laughs> And then lastly, June twenty third through twenty fifth, I'm at Spokane Comedy Club, twenty third, twenty fourth opening for Nate Craig, twenty fifth headlining. That's the uh that is the aforementioned big dog. Uh by the way, saw the ticket sales numbers. Uh I can't believe it. We are lower than our listener total uh, on. The... <laughs> so please come out. Uh, is there something
0: going on in Spokane that weekend?
1: Well, it's in Tacoma, so I don't know if Spokane Oh, oh is... my
0: bad. The Tacoma show, yeah.
1: That might be part of the problem is people are, they've been driving to Spokane since I started. Walking.
0: Well, you're covering all parts of Washington in the I next couple f- weeks. I just looked everywhere. up Rockport. It's two and a half hours away, oh, and it's up, it's up towards the North Cascades. So Great. I don't even know if people live up there. You might just be speaking to a forest I'm performing
1: for bears yeah and not the fun gay kind like <laughs> and the then, ones that'll eat me
0: and then you're going down south to olympia and then yes. you're in the center of the state in ellensburg and then all the way out to the east so i mean there's really no excuse
1: wait what, people, where do you why do you have me in did i say spokane at some point
0: yeah you said spokane comedy club but Fuck you must me, have been tacoma. tacoma god you i at suck tacoma. so bad yeah i've just been
1: rare. yeah i am actually going out uh I'm going out to Spokane for my uncle Bob's uh, funeral that day, oh, right. so I will yes. be out there, but not to do comedy. Okay, on the 23rd, yeah. I'll be out there, um, but you're not invited to his funeral. Tickets, it's sold out. It turns out. That's um, that's
0: good. That's good to hear. Biggest audience you could perform for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in that weekend, at I'm, least. <laughs> I'm
1: I would bomb in front of that crowd. Um, okay, yeah, that's it. And then I'm, after that, I'm having a kid, so it's I'm trying to keep the schedule light uh, for at least probably a month, um, which will probably turn into about 20 days. Cause well, you
0: got a lot of stuff coming up. So if people, yes. if people choose not to show up, that's pretty much on you at this point.
1: Yeah. You're assholes. <laughs> you are assholes.
0: All right. We got to talk about the athletic man. They went and they, uh, they've been laying people off left and right. And, yeah. uh, I don't know how you feel about the athletic, but when it first came to be for me as you know, we've both worked in sports journalism in some capacity in the past, sure. And The Athletic was exciting because it was really just, it was going to be, it's like the ESPN of writing, right? It was just going to be sports writing. You could subscribe to it uh, at like one, they always had great promotions, so it never cost that much to subscribe to. Unlike having to pay for like your local newspaper or even like a national newspaper, you know, if you didn't care about other subjects or you were getting your news from Twitter or wherever, some free source. You didn't want to subscribe just to read the sports in those, in those newspapers. And uh, the athletic gave you another option. So it was cool when it first came out. And now over the past couple of years, they've really started trimming down and uh, getting rid of people. And they, they just announced this week that they were laying off some more people. And what they're really trying to do is cut back a lot of their, their local coverages. So, you know, they used to have a lot of regional local coverages. You know, we had a, writer that would cover the Mariners, one that would cover the Seahawks, one that would cover the Huskies, all in the Seattle area. And now they're they're basically just down to like a few NFL beats locally. Sure. And everything else is just national or feature-based writing. Uh, so big changes there. And, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what you think about it.
1: So, well, the other thing they did, by the way, at the beginning that made it exciting as a consumer was they were picking off, like, great writers. Like, uh, and I mean, the local guys, but also some of the national guys they got were, like, yeah. world-class journalists. And a guy that I'm friends with that still works there, uh, Eno Saris, is, like, a guy that I would say... And I, 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 In fact, I think he still works there? I don't know. I, part of the problem with The Athletic is I signed up f- for it on an email that I'm not sure even which one it was. And I've paid like eight bucks a month for years because I just don't I can't figure out which one it is to cancel it. I'm I'm I just get billed. I don't even get an email that says like thank you for being a subscriber anywhere.
0: Yeah, no one cares. They don't care about they don't care about their subscribers. They
1: they just want that eight bucks to come out of my account and it's tied to like an auto pay. So uh I I will say like I've been a subscriber to the Athletic on purpose for about a year and on accident for about two years and I've read very few articles on the athletic. That's the yeah. honest truth.
0: I think that's been, cause that's the same for me. I, I subscribed pretty early on and I just found I wasn't reading it very often, right. you know, every now and then they'd come out with something that was pretty interesting. Um, but usually those were like the national feature pieces that were like something you would have read back in sports illustrated back in the day, sure. you know, um, which you know, Sports Illustrated itself has gone downhill so far that it's nothing like it used to be, and so yeah. so if you liked that type of writing, those kind of like long form feature pieces, the Athletic was a really good place to go get that type of story. Um, but for like local coverage and stuff, you're right. I mean, early on they picked off a lot of a lot of good writers around the country, good reporters, good journalists, and they really paid them well. And I, mm-hmm. I know you know I had some friends that were. Being actively recruited by the the athletic when it first came to be, and they had a lot to weigh. I mean, they were going to be paid more going there than they would have in their current roles, but a lot of them were just worried about the security of a company that seemed at the time like it was kind of fly by night. And I always thought, like having worked in tech and software for most of my adult life, that the people behind the athletic were software uh, venture capitalists. So they're just in it to like. Their their MO is to come in, buy a software company, inflate its value, and sell it off. That's what they typically do. And so The Athletic was like, this was a whole new venture for them in some ways. But if you kind of followed their path or what they were typically used to doing, they were probably going to come in, take this thing over, build it up as much as they could, and then sell it off, which is exactly what they did. Sure. It's just it always comes at the expense of the employees that they've had there since the beginning. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. All these people that went over there and started writing for them and got paid very well to be there, have now a lot of them have lost their jobs. And I think you know part of the reason they pay you so well up front is because they know they have to take you away from the security of wherever you're at, whether you're at a newspaper or some other competing online publication, whatever it might be, they can offer you more money, but what they cannot offer you typically is that long-term security.
1: Yeah, and I I kind of like so do, does to you does this kind of spell the death of the athletic and I'll, I'll say uh real quick like there's been there's people are very often and this is like a tech term but they're trying to like disrupt sports journalism, right? The uh a couple yeah, many years that's
0: ago. That's what the athletic like positioned itself as when they came to be.
1: But they weren't the first, like Bleacher Report many years ago was kind of like that. And and Bleacher Report had a bunch of iterations too, and it also sold. I actually was the early stages of Bleacher Report when it was like all citizen journalism, basically. There was like very few paid writers. I was a guy making uh, little to no money as a featured columnist for the Seahawks and the Mariners, which, um, uh, and little to no money, not in the way that like a low level journalism employee makes little to no money. I mean, literally little to no money. Yeah. Uh, maybe, was maybe of, like was 50 part bucks of that before. too.
0: Yeah. Oh, I was, sure. I, I was actually offered, a one of those initial roles when they started paying people and I was right. like, there's no way I'm going to do, <laughs> you're going to, yeah. you're going to pay me like nothing to, to do more writing than I already do. Like that, that seems silly. Yeah. And- I, you,
1: you probably got a, I got a, I had a negotiation with the, uh, the Soto Mojo folks. Uh, do, you, oh, do you are you familiar? Wow. I do with remember
0: that. The, I remember that. Yeah, I don't know if they still exist, but they were a bunch of kids, weren't they? Well, it was.
1: They, at some point, they got bought by FanSided, which was like a, one of these oh, yeah. companies that's like again, it's like they're trying to do a thing. They're trying to reinvent sports journalism. But and I and I by the way, I would uh, I would happily uh, omit the details except for Soto Mojo. Like sometime later, unrelated. They like I d- I said something like made a joke about the Mariners on uh, or maybe even just an a, a opined on something. And they like attempted to like call me out as an account and then blocked me. They were like, oh, no, like uh, like you won't respond after they blocked me. Like I have I got burner accounts fucking Soto Mojo. <laughs> so I was I was in negotiations. They were like I interviewed for this job. I like took time out of my day to interview for this job as the wow. editor in chief of Soto Mojo. And I'm like, you know what? I can't imagine if there, if there's like a real salary with this, like it's a job that I want. I, I really didn't like my job at the time. And uh, they were like, some of our highest paid editors, they make as much as like 60 to a hundred. And I'm like, oh, thousand dollars a year. And they're like, no dollars a month, $60 to a hundred dollars <laughs> a month. And I was like, that's oh no! This is crazy. Off of. And yeah. it was literally like write thirty articles a month, mm-hmm. thirty columns, whatever, like blog posts a month, and like one a day, whatever the amount of days are in that yeah. month. For it's you're like two dollars per per blog post.
0: Yeah, there's still a lot of sites that kind of follow that model. And no offense to the people that write for them, uh, a little offense, <laughs> sure. But yeah, I mean, I feel yeah, bad
1: for you, not like.
0: Right. Yeah, there's, there's a, you know, the new Sports Illustrated model. They bought a bunch of sites last year where they, they kind of started doing that. And what they're basically giving you is they're giving you a big conglomerate name that gets you access to these teams to some degree. So you see like this uptick in people that probably have no business being credentialed sure. <laughs> to, to, for access to these teams, getting access to go and write things that um, basically become clickbait and are, you know, they, they're not really, yeah. they're not well-written often. They're not, there's not a lot of like journalistic ethos behind the articles and how they've been, how they've been um, edited and, and written up. And they get this access and they make very little money to do it, but they see it as a way to get their foot in the door. And I, I don't think we've seen enough people actually blossom <laughs> out of that, out of that method for it to work. So, yeah. yeah it's kind
1: of, in comedy, I would compare it to like the guy's, you know whatever men and women but it's going to be a negative thing so uh that uh get huge on youtube or tiktok and some of them even were comics but a lot of times they were not and then they decide well like the way to make money off of this is to try to take this and like when they get to the live show when you need the real thing when you have to have it yeah they're not comics like it's and the, the they disappoint the crowd and so that's these kind of folks that like come up in this, like, free blogging space, I suspect, have, like, a hard time maybe doing a professional interview in a locker room or something like that.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that because uh, I hear about a lot of these people from people who have been journalists. And that's not to say that the people who have been journalists are right or are better in any way. It's just there, sure. is, there is some semblance of professionalism that comes with any job. And a lot of times when you're basically... Uh, a blogger that gets access, it can be tough to, you know, fit in to that level of professionalism, yeah. especially if that's your only job, you know, if, if you're using this as the only way to make money, I understand why you would have ton of insecurity about your work and constantly be hustling because I know how much you make and it's not good and yeah. to try and like, and, and that's really just like, that's kind of the machine that a lot of these companies have created. The difference with the athletic, I think, and and what made them so appealing is that they weren't going that route that most conglomerations do, where they kind of take the cheap way out, where they're hiring people who are willing to accept almost no money to write and work basically for free, even if the writing is crap, they're just turning, you know, what, like the bleacher reports of the world were saying, hey, we're going to take your writing, whatever it is, put a great headline on it. And make it clickable and we're going to pump it everywhere and people are going to click this you're going to get clicks and you'll get paid off those clicks the athletic was like that's we're not going to do that we're going to go hire legitimate journalists legitimate writers pay them more than they've ever made in their life and make this like the premier destination for any writer who wants to talk about sports and that's what they did the first few years and i think um you know in having conversations with the people i knew who were who had even thought about going over there the fears were all the same. The fears were all like, hey, this might die out in two years and I'll be back looking for another job and I don't necessarily want to do that. Or And potentially the, the will
1: th- have burned a bridge at a place yeah. where they had a job. Or,
0: or on the other hand, they were like, I'm fine doing that. Like, I can rebound from this and I'm going to make so much money in those two years that this thing is, is going yeah. that it will be all worth it in the end even if I lose that opportunity. The thing that's really tough about what The Athletic has been doing and the really unfortunate thing is like, because they kind of have run the athletic like you would run a software company. I understand what they were doing. You know, the guys behind this were just trying to make as much money as they could for themselves. That's the intention of any venture capitalist usually. Um, But the thing that sucks for the writers who have been losing their job, even though they got paid, you know, say 30% more than they were making prior to working at the athletic after losing their job, you know, unlike in software, if you and I have worked in software, there's plenty of opportunity to go get another job in software doing the same thing you did before. Basically, if you lose your job at one software company, with journalism, the opportunities are very slim. And and this is another thing that was like beneficial about the athletic is just like you were talking about with comedy a couple of weeks ago, and just one new comedy club opening in Tacoma creates that much more opportunity for everybody. The athletic created that much more opportunity for anybody who wanted to write about sports and was actually good at it. Mm-hmm. And it, in some ways, it even created opportunity for people who were bad at it because you saw like the rise in like the Bleacher Report model as it applied right. to like Sports Illustrated and some of these other companies. And now that they've started cutting back jobs, you're sending all these people back onto the market to try and fight for newspaper jobs that hardly exist because they were put out of business by The Athletic. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of like this vicious uh, cycle that occurred that's that's hurt a lot of people.
1: Yeah, do you ever feel like you're like, cause at some point these places are hiring people. Like there are, they, they go through like ebbs and flows, but we never really hear about like the newspapers hiring 300 people. We always hear about yeah. the layoffs, right? And it almost feels like, how could there even possibly be people left to lay off? Because the industry has just been shrinking so much and it's it sucks, it's like, but I also don't know, like I don't know what the the answer is because it it's like, uh, you know, I, I guess what it is is we need individual entrepreneurial people. Like in uh, in Tacoma, where we live, there was a, a a lady who actually passed away somewhat recently in in the COVID years. But her name was Sue Kidd, or that was actually her uh, pen name. Um, she was a food reviewer, like a restaurant reviewer reviewer, yeah, she and she one worked of the best. Yeah, and yep. she worked for the News Tribune, and at some point, and I don't know the exact details, but she stopped working for the News Tribune. But she had this very local, it was called Dine Pierce County, and it was like basically uh, it was exactly what she was doing at the News Tribune, but done by her, like the exact same work, but done by her and put out for a specific audience. And I like I, maybe that's the answer, but it's like, I, I feel like, because you and I both have done a lot of blogging in the past, yeah. I feel like nobody has... I've never seen anyone really do that well. Maybe the closest we've seen is like the uh, like the USS Mariner guys had a specific niche but there's mm-hmm. never been someone I like that gets the access that goes and uh, and like really becomes like a reporter the way that we want like I, I want the stories from in the locker room. I want the interviews I want all the shit without compromising the quality of the product. We've never seen yeah. someone. I don't think go and become like a local beat writer.
0: Yeah. I think one of the newer opportunities for a lot of these guys is through Substack. So it's basically just Patreon for writing and Substack seems to work for a lot of people. There, There's yeah. a lot of opportunity to make money there. If you're a good writer, I think it works for the people that were, that already had a built in audience that were covering something that's underserved, um, whether it's like a local beat or something like that. And that hasn't really been replaced by other coverage um that seems to be a good opportunity for a lot of people who have been put out of work by these these sorts of uh layoffs but yeah i mean it's 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 a tough space to navigate because i know like newspapers and stuff they're really trying to hire people that will accept below you know like very low wages right like even even for positions that once were considered prestigious and coveted they're hiring people at numbers that fall well below like the cost of living, especially in places like Seattle. Sure. And what they're basically, you know, journalism has always done this, they're promising you access and the opportunity to move up for almost no pay. It's almost like an internship in some ways, but it is a real job. And what that's doing is it's just lowering the quality of all written media, you know, whether it's sports or otherwise. And that's scary, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, because that's, then you don't have the opportunity to investigate big stories that, um, you know, really kind of tell the truth about what's going on in the world around us, you know, the, the things the the stories that have become more compelling that have driven viewers or driven readers, and really like move the needle are often just like sensationalism, they're not, they're not real stories anymore, they're not investigations. And, um, you know, even whether it applies to sports or otherwise, Like you need those people telling these truths to be able to make journalism worthwhile, and that's where things have like really come down. And I think a lot of it is because like the Bleacher Report model, the Sports Illustrated model that they're following now, where you just you get anybody who basically wants to work for free, and you promise them like access and fame. And I can tell you for a fact, like there's no such thing as fame with writing, especially if, (laughs) like, I don't know what people's, especially dudes, like dudes Mm -hmm. like that are in their twenties or t- teens and twenties, like for whatever reason, they think if I write about sports, I'm going to like get laid every day. No, that's <laughs> never going to happen. That's never going to happen. Um, you, you might get laid for other reasons. It's not because of your writing.
1: <laughs> I, well, I mean, to be fair, I do think that you have a child and that person was aware of your writing at some point.
0: That's true, but that's, or you don't that's, have that's a child. That's all these, coming, that's all these good lucks. That has so nothing, to do. <laughs> 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 it's nothing to do with, you know, the, I I totally get it. I mean, there's so many people, you always see it on like on social media, any journalist with access can post something and there will always be somebody that says I would do your job for free. And there's no way you would do it for free. It's like, it's just like with comedy. It's yeah. You're going to have to hustle a little bit in the beginning. You're not going to hustle like that forever. Well, there's also
1: bullshit that you don't think about like with comedy you just see somebody getting laughs on stage first off getting laughs is very difficult especially at the beginning but also you don't see the thing where it's like i uh you know i drive three hours to do 25 minutes on this show to barely make enough money to technically cover the gas to like but from the tax man's perspective i probably actually lost money luckily i have a prius so my my fuel costs are pretty low, but uh, uh, like also you don't see one in the morning when I get home, can't sleep for another hour, fall asleep at 2 a.m. and wake up at 5.30 with my wife to get at her, you know, like there's a lot of shit that you wouldn't do. Of course, if you could just pop in one day and hang out with an athlete, you would do that part, but would you do the part where you're filing a story at one in the morning because there was an extra innings game? and the next morning your kid has a has a baseball game so you're up 4 hours after you get home or something like that you know the the there's always shit with any job and especially jobs that people that are sought after that's like the 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 journalism jobs i've always heard of it called like the baseball tax where like if you're going to work in professional baseball, whatever job you take, you're basically going to take a 20% haircut on what the like open market salary is for that beer is very similar. Like these things that people want to be involved with, there's so many people that want to be involved with them that you get fucked on the entry level job basically. Yeah.
0: And and I think that's like another area where just social media in general has made things very interesting for people is like, whether you want to be a writer or you want to be an actor or you want to be a comedian. It's like, if you have any, like, even just a tiny iota of success in like, you have like one reel that goes viral or one Twitter post that goes viral or something that you wrote becomes popular. It's like, there's like this com- feeling that compels you to like pursue that wholly. And it's like, yeah, you, you might, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> You know, I can tell you from experience, like having worked for a newspaper, you don't get paid that much. Um, You often feel like you're uh, being promised things that will never come to fruition. And a lot of these types, like especially in journalism, it's an old school industry, man, like um, I know a lot of them have worked to get better about like diversity and inclusion, probably to a fault Uh, that some people would probably think it's to a fault. Sure. Um, But it, it's just you have a lot of people that do things in an old school manner still calling the shots. yeah. And so as a result, there's just not a lot of care into the work environment. And and because of that, like they're going to try to get as much out of you as they can for as low, you know, salary wise, as little as possible.
1: Yeah. Well, and especially so like like sense. I said, there's there's 50 people that want your job. If you're a if you're a sports journalist, there's 50 people that want to take that job, that though they wouldn't do it for free, that may be qualified and know that they will do it for 40 grand a year or whatever the right. whatever the salary is, and that might even be a dream for some of those jobs, 40 grand a year.
0: Yeah, and and in, you know, in fairness to those companies, to the newspapers, to whomever, there's not a lot of money being made in those industries right now either. I mean, at the the companies at the top are doing really well, you know, yeah. but that's not your local newspaper, your local newspaper is probably struggling. And so to ask, you know, for wages that basically meet the cost of living in a lot of places, that's hard to do. It's just tough to do right now. Yeah. So I get it, man. It's 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 kind of like being a it's kind of like being a dancer at a really nice gentleman's club. You know, (laughs) usually you have to pay to actually dance there because you collect so much in tips. Did you know that they're not earning a salary? after
1: taking off their clothes yeah i get one i guess i've known that for long enough that i didn't i did i thought it was somewhat common knowledge i haven't been to a strip club in i mean like a decade or something actually longer than that because i know i i was gonna go one to one on my bachelor party and uh i lost my new i had like an iphone uh 10 or something whatever the iphone of the time was yeah and i had just bought it and you're like about to get married we're out of money we're like tapped out and, and we're about to go to new york also <laughs> for our honeymoon and i'm like i need this fucking phone because i don't know how to navigate new york without i know the like the subway system whatever so the whole time when people were at the strip club i was searching for my phone which is like my wife's uh greatest relief i think <laughs> Um, I that- but I did know that I did know that they have to pay. It's kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of like being a barber also, like in that you like rent a chair at a barbershop. Um, if you yeah. know, that's a less perverted example, you yeah. fucking heathen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I've, I've, never assumed that they had like benefits on a 401k at a, at a strip club. Yeah.
0: Maybe yeah. they do. Imagine <laughs> you could disrupt the industry if you did that. We're going to pay all of our dancers a living wage, uh, great benefits, sure. paid time off. Uh, they got a punch a clock. You're,
1: you're, they wear a hard hat and Timberlands fancy. or something like that. Free <laughs> <laughs> lunches on
0: Fridays. Yeah. Uh, all right. Can you we talk about
1: the a- the Oakland A's actually? Because I have a it's a okay. there's a, a similar thing with this to me. So the Oakland A's uh, are there's like some controversy or some some conversation about whether or not they're going to move to Las Vegas. And the fans staged, I think, a unique protest, which was a reverse boycott, which I've never heard of before this, by the way. Have you ever heard of a reverse boycott?
0: No. In in fact, when I first read about it, I was like, this doesn't make any sense because you're still giving money to the owner of the team. But they basically went there with the intention of just bashing the hell out of this guy. Yes. And so they did that. And
1: it was very well organized. There was like 30,000 people there, I believe. It was.
0: There was a lot of signs. There was a lot of negativity towards the ownership group and the franchise. Not the franchise as a whole, but like the entities that run the franchise, which I totally understand. They kind of operated on the theory that they can't stop everybody, right? Like if one person brings a very negative sign to a Mariners game, they're probably going to get that taken away. But if everybody brings a really negative sign to the Mariners game, there's no way those 75-year-old ushers are going to be able to go and be the foot soldiers for the organization and take all those sides away. It's no possible way.
1: Yeah. And they, so they, uh, they also started a sell the team chant and all that. And so there's a part of this that I'm uh, sympathetic to you, I assume are also anyone that was a Sonics fan is going to be a little bit sensitive and sympathetic to a fan base on the verge of losing a team. And I don't want any individual. I'm not like happy that they're on the verge of losing their team. I want to, I would like to offer one bit of criticism of the reverse boycott, which is if they were putting this many seats or asses in seats the whole time, the team might not be in this situation. And that was a common false criticism of the Sonics fan base, uh, was that they didn't fill the seats. And
0: yeah, I, 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 I waffle on this one a lot because I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I mean, the A's have had like record low attendance numbers the past yeah. couple of seasons. Their team has been bad, but they've also operated for years on you know the money ball strategy of not wanting to pay anybody and trying to get the most out of like the lowest payroll in baseball, which in many years has worked very well. Right. Um, but yeah, the uh, the attendance numbers have really shrunk down in these last couple seasons, and. The, the one thing that I will say about those numbers and, and kind of the criticism around the Sonics back in the day as well is the organization goes out of their way to make things miserable for fans when they want to move. You know, that that's exactly sure. what happened in Seattle. It didn't happen until the Oklahoma City ownership group came in and took over that last season. And I just remember going to a game that last season and the entire thing, it looked like the team had been sponsored by T-Mobile. The entire thing was just an ad. You know, it was right. like the Sonic didn't even exist. It was like, here's Team T-Mobile, basically. And they did little things like they closed down concession stands. They made it hard just to go in and, like, get a drink or get some food while you're at the game. Um, I remember they cut out, like, a normal pizza sponsor for DiGiorno. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that, but the official the, the the pizza that. sponsor of the last season of the Sonics was DiGiorno. They got rid of, like, all the main pizzas you'd expect, and they're like, here's some Here's some uh, oven baked pizza for you. Um, so, so I, I would have to imagine that things in Oakland are bad because the ownership group has made it that way for them too.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that. And I, and so I want to, I'm going to read you this article because I was looking this up today. Uh, the, the, I'm just going to read you the headline notebook. So this is February 1st, 2004 written by Jada Evans notebook, uh, which is, I think like a, uh, you know, like a, segment or a common column in this in the seattle times at the time sonic's low attendance hurting value of team this is 2004 this is obviously before they get into the uh into the years but this is my problem with this assertion always has been so this is 2004 that's on the screen right now where the and it's always just uh infuriating to see the Sonics years of the thunder be called the thunder, but yeah. they sold 91% <laughs> of the seats. And this is like pretty common as, as you go through these years leading up to the the sale is that like in, in 2005, they sell 96% of the seats, which is seventh best in basketball. Some of these teams don't have a, uh, I think, a capacity for the ratio. They were always selling a lot of seats. They just didn't have a very big arena. And this was a disadvantage that they had. And it was a disadvantage that was, by the way, like Howard Schultz's gripe with the the city not supporting the expansion, renovation of Key right. Arena or the building of a new arena, whatever. And, and there's probably... I'm, I could be fucking up small details of this, but this was like this was the frustration and I and so my my thing is is a thing that some people did specifically I remember Bomani Jones doing it but he was far from the only one was it was like an attempt to provoke the Sonics fan base by saying like oh you lost the team because you didn't support them and that just tr- simply wasn't true in Seattle and I I do think like if we look back I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the uh the A's again real quick uh the the what i think the sonics did very obviously is they did this like full scale rebuild at a time when they could it was convenient also that they could say well the the fans aren't supporting us so we got to move to oklahoma city yeah. but yeah they like you know tore basically you know tore the team down to the studs except for they drafted Kevin Durant, and uh, they ended up having like I. I remember those years being like just pissed that they were gonna because I loved everything Sam Presti was doing, but I'm like a guy who is always I've always I always love rebuilds and player development and shit like that, and I know that's not what most fans want. The thing about the Sonics and the thing that I like I, the A's have been good through stretches, and they are still consistently one of the worst attended teams in major league baseball
0: yeah their stadium sucks i mean it really sucks sure (laughs) it's kind of a hellhole and you know in, in these types of situations i always feel like both sides have a little bit of claim to being right you know fans certainly have a gripe i mean it, I thought the reverse boycott was a cool thing to do, but they still sure. didn't sell out the place last night you know like I remember the last game the Sonics had in, in Key Arena. they still sold out the place you know and, and that's the, it's, it's unfair to compare the two situations you know a baseball stadium is much larger um, than a basketball arena obviously but you know it, either way the, the people who are getting screwed in both situations are the fans and it's really sure. hard to know like when, when an owner decides that they want to move a team, you know that could be years in the making you know the a's owner could have decided many many years ago that they wanted to move the team at some point in time and that's when you kind of start the tear down and it can be a very slow burn for that sort of thing the sonics were unique because it was so obvious i mean you had an ownership group from out of town by the team take it over in seattle for one year and then relocate it right so that one was pretty obvious but when you have sure. a, a baked in ownership group that's there it's really hard to know their intentions if they decide they want to do something like this. And, um, well, and also they,
1: they like, unfortunately the way professional sports work now is they have to kind of play this leverage game, uh, and say like, well, we could move because that's like the only real alternative. If the city never puts up money for the stadium.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I would say like the last, 25 to 30 years have gotten really difficult navigating the space between like funding for stadiums basically. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
0: you know, even whether you're a baseball fan or not, you're paying for T-Mobile Park in Seattle, Safeco Field, you know, previously, but you're paying for that because we decided to put up public funding for it. And I understand why people who have no interest in a sport wouldn't want to pay for those sorts of things out of their taxes and especially in in cities where you have a lot of other things to do you know like the bay area you know maybe not oakland proper but like the bay area as a whole there's a lot of other things to do there's there's another baseball team that's close by in the giants right Right. so it's like you have a lot of competing interest for getting people to come out to your to your games and in seattle it's the same thing i mean there's so many other things you can possibly do here that it could, you know, if we have to go through a negotiation like that with one of the teams that we have now, again, it could be really difficult to get that funding. And there's always some other city out there that is willing to push some bill through sure. to pay for a stadium. The thing about the A's is, is I think everybody kind of thought, like, okay, if they go to Las Vegas, that's gonna be a shoe-in. People in Las Vegas are used to are used to building, you know, taking on anything and building these things all the time. But what typically happens in Vegas is you know, all the building that they do, all the construction that they do, all the teardowns of these resorts and buildup of new resorts, that's all privately paid for. No one's paying sure. – none of the taxpayers are paying for that. And now I think what I kind of hope happens in this entire saga is that Las Vegas doesn't push through their – fund or Nevada, the state of Nevada doesn't push through the funding for this stadium and the A's just get caught in limbo where they have nowhere to really go and they kind of get stuck in Oakland because they – you know, they, all along this, this – Las Vegas thing has been pitched as like a done deal. And it's far from that. It's far from that. Like no one's lined up the funding for that stadium yet. They just keep striking these land deals with whoever owns the land in Vegas and saying, okay, that's the report is like, it's done now. They're going to move. There's still a chance for the A's to be saved. The difficult thing is like if they do get caught in limbo, it doesn't seem like Oakland's willing to build them a new ballpark. And why would you if they're constantly on the verge of trying to walk out of town? So it's just going to it's going to be tough for A's fans no matter what happens.
1: Yeah, it's kind of I, the, so this saga by the way has been playing out for a long time. That stadium's been in bad shape for a very long time. Um and it's the other thing about this is it's kind of like the a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the Padres TV deal and it was like we kind of always knew there was going to be at some point, a team that had this experience because the landscape of TV is changing. The landscape of live sports on TV is changing. It, obviously, there's less cable subscribers. The our uh, access to live programming is we have so many options now. We always kind of knew it was going to shift at some point. And this kind of feels like that. I mean, even though this feels like it's 15 years in the making, they've been talking about moving the A's to a different part of California for a long time. Like, like this has been an ongoing struggle. This isn't like, I mean, it's, this is why I am sympathetic to the fans as a Sonics fan, but the Sonics situation is somewhat different. I mean, I guess the the difference is they don't have a dickhead owner. That's going to, that has sold them off to someone who very obviously wants to move them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The Sonics was just, it was so, it was so unique in the, way, sure <laughs> in the way it was handled that it's hard to compare that to any other situation where teams move. So, and, so but the thing
1: like Oakland, I, I guess like the there's not really an option where it's like like the Braves a couple years ago had a relatively new stadium and got funding for another new stadium. This isn't that. This is a, a stadium that's dilapidated. It's been it's been uh, below like typical MLB standards for decades and it's really probably not viable for the team to remain there and it might not be viable for the city to keep the team there and that like it's limbo but it's kind of limbo for everybody right because even if the if the a's move then the city has this enormous venue with nothing going on in it like it's it kind of i mean they would i
0: would have to imagine they would just tear down the coliseum it's sure in terrible shape it's they could easily make it I don't know, parking or whatever. There's so much space that could be used there. Sure. And I'm sure that, like, at this point, that's probably not a terrible option for them. You know, if you're the city, you're like, we just want to get out of this situation. It's the fans. And, and, and you know, the unfortunate thing for fans is that you really have no power other than doing, like, what the A's fans did the other night and do a reverse boycott or something but like if that. They, or try listen, to make yourselves ha- hurt.
1: They put thirty thousand people in that stadium. They haven't averaged thirty thousand people since nineteen ninety-one. It's impressive that they did that. It's like cool to see fans fighting back in these situations. Whether you're a fan of a team that's moved or not, I think like it's we talked about the how it's difficult to identify with the players sometimes instead of the team in like negotiations. This is not that. This is fans and fans. Like this is we are fans of sports teams. These are fans of sport, sports teams finding a way to fight back and also embarrass the shit out of the ownership group. Yeah, And that is, I understand how that's gratifying, but I also think like, is this, like, what is the, I don't even know what is an outcome for this that makes anybody happy. Like what's an outcome of this that can make anybody happy? Besides, no, it,
0: it feels yeah, like just a, a
1: situation that's like we're beyond the point where, I mean, maybe, and maybe it's not Vegas, maybe it's Portland or something like that. It ends up being, but that's like probably years down the road. The Vegas thing felt like it was somewhat imminent.
0: You know, I think the thing that's really tough for California teams is, you know, many, many years ago, long before we were born, there was like this exodus of teams from the East coast over to California and the West coast. Right. So that's why you have all these sports teams that have ended up in California over the years. Right. And that. You know, over time, that's not sustainable. It's just not. When you have that many teams in close concentration to one another, the geography of that, it just doesn't make sense. You know, well, and, and that's it, another thing too
1: that is like why, why I feel somewhat less bad is because like, mean, right. I guess the Portland Trailblazers were close to us, but there's geographically, we're so isolated up here that to go see an NBA game now, we have to drive three hours.
0: Yeah. The unfortunate thing for A's fans is that in addition to all this other stuff happening, like, the Warriors got really good. The Giants got really good and won a few World Series. The Niners got really good. So, all the other teams in their, their general vicinity got really good and started commanding those dollars. Like the Ace fans that aren't showing up to games, they're probably spending their money elsewhere, you know, whether it's on one of these other teams or sports or, or whatever. Sure. And that's just, a, I mean, that's a reality that everybody faces as fans. Like, I'm a huge fan of the, the Seahawks, but I'm, Mostly watching games on TV, right? So it's like, if they were to decide to up and move, like I can look in the mirror and say, "Well, I guess I didn't do enough," and that would be sure. the reality of the situation. And that's kind of the case for all fan bases. But do you think? You know, do you the-
1: think this isn't like? So if you put an extra, like, ten thousand people in, uh, in that stadium every day, is that enough to make the payroll? 200 million, probably not. Right. No, like, I mean, like-
0: yeah. And, and they, they probably don't have the money to pay for their own stadium. I mean, that's the thing about just sports ownership in general. And like we were talking about last week with John Stanton and the Mariners, it's like, not all owners are created equal. And I think that's one thing like fans often think like, well, the Yankees are spending money. So why can't we? And it's like, well, the people that own the Yankees have a lot more money to spend. You know, that's just the reality. It's not every, every billionaire out there. Isn't the same there. And and granted, I mean, you could argue that they should be doing more at times with the money that they have. But again, people aren't all built the same way, you know, To maybe to give them maybe more credit than they deserve. They're just not. Some people are more frugal than others. Right. And this is again, this is a really tough situation because like I know how I would feel if one of my teams left. I do know because I've experienced it with the Sonics. (laughs) Right. And it feels terrible. But the difference with. Oakland fans is that you have another team right there like okay yeah. if I'm, I'm a fan of the Sonics but if we had like the Bellevue whatever right <laughs> right down the road from the Seattle Supersonics I think I could adjust and become a sure. fan of the Bellevue whatever's if the Sonics had departed town and I know that's asking a lot of A's fans because over the years they've had a little bit of a rivalry with the Giants but the fact is if you want to see baseball in that town you can still go do it
1: so you yeah, have you no can... sympathy for them. That's that, that's what I get. No, I <laughs> I, I I do think it's a situation where like I do have sympathy for them, but I don't think they deserve the same sympathy that Sonics fans deserve because they have they have many more options. I have not been a defector to the Portland Trailblazers because of the rivalries. So I'm not. I would say like I do think it's somewhat unrealistic to expect people to make that adjustment. However if you decide you like like even if let's say i decided i'm a brooklyn nets fan which i tried to do for a year it's still 3 <laughs> hours to go see them play in portland you know what i mean like the
0: yeah and that's yeah. you
1: know maybe one game a year if i have that available like that day available there's it's just a difficult it's just uh more difficult in my opinion to and one thing i'll say to counter your point on the California thing is like state lines, state borders are somewhat arbitrary. The Bay Area is the Bay Area. That's a smaller region of of California. California is enormous and has a population to support a lot of sports franchises. The fact that it happens to be within the border of this fake thing we call California doesn't, you know, that doesn't really matter because the teams that are in LA are geographically further away well, I, I, that might not even be true, but they're probably further away than Portland is. I, I haven't driven from San Francisco to L.A. ever, but I assume it's further than Seattle to Portland. Um, yeah. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's, it's you're right. I mean, the, whether geography applies or not, if you're a fan of a team, you're a fan of a team. And if you lose that team, that's always going to suck. It's just going to suck. You know, like after the Sonics left, I it coincided with me being at, UW, dub so it was very easy for me to be like a husky basketball fan it happened right. that they were good at the same time but it's still a different it's a different style of game it's not the same team it's not the same experience sure. there's just a lot that comes along with years of being a fan of a certain team and then to just up and lose that is there's nothing that replaces that it's just it's it's the unfortunate reality of the capitalistic nature of sports, you know, like, if I'm an owner, and I feel like I can't make money, because my venue is falling apart. And I don't have the money to pay for a new venue, or I do have the money, but I don't want to like, deplete myself that bad to pay for it. Or I'm just flat, I'm an asshole. And I'm used to (laughs) other people paying for my venues. Then that's the route I'm going to go, right? Like, well, it's also it's not, not even head just
1: head. that you're used to other people doing it; it's that there's other people dying to do it. Like, there's there's potentially cities that yeah. are Virginia Beach, port. I mean, probably not Portland at this point. And I think there was a thing about Portland many years ago. I have a suspicion that the city of Portland has shifted in a way that they would not, uh, like, has shifted politically in a way that they would not support building a baseball stadium to bring um a baseball team there, but there are places that want to bring you there. You know what I mean? Like it's not just it's not just like this is what I'm used to. It's this is how it's it is for every you know, every other city.
0: There's a precedence for sure. And just like we were talking about with the athletic, I mean a lot of these people at the top, they're just in it to make money for themselves. Sure. And that goes the same for sports sports owners too. There's not a lot of altruistic owners out there. I always felt like Paul Allen was one of those who was like about as altruistic to the fan base as you can be. Yeah. It seems he like wanted Mark to Cuban win as
1: much th- as the the fan base wanted
0: to win. Right. It seems yeah. like Mark Cuban is one of those guys, but most, you don't hear about most owners out there because they're not altruistic. You know, they're well, a lot of those guys, behind the scenes counting their money.
1: A lot of times the guy, Mark Cuban's a good example, a good example of that. Paul Allen's a good example of that. There's bad examples of that. Where the guy turns into a nut and gets too involved in the team like Jerry Jones, Al Davis. Right. Uh these guys that may even George Steinbrenner to a large degree, even though he did have good years with the Yankees, like when he when his spoon was stirring the pot, it was a lot worse than when he allowed uh like a true baseball guy to run run shit and yeah, I, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough, but also I'm like, I guess I'm maybe I'm just jaded, and and uh, and uh, I think that's even for sure the case. I'm just jaded by the, uh, yeah. the Sonics moving. Where I'm like, <laughs> what your guys are going through sucks, but it's not as bad because we well, we're also 15 years removed from it. You know.
0: One thing I will say before we get off this topic that does kind of annoy me is that anytime uh, the possibility of a team relocating pops up. You always see sonics fans say we got to support this because of what happened to us yeah. and i don't feel that way necessarily i mean i think that's basically for you. what i mean yeah i feel sympathy for you because i know how bad this situ- i feel empathy for you because i've been yeah. through this situation and it's terrible but it's also an unfortunate reality of how this business is being run and for us to be like we got to support every team that comes along that suffers a similar fate as the sonics it's like well first of all all of these even though the end result might be the same a team moves the situations themselves are much different. They're all different. Yeah. Um, so to just like blindly throw your support at these things without understanding the situations is tough.
1: Yeah. Like, why can't the people of Utah have a team? Like, why do they not deserve a team when the people of Oakland can't drive across the bridge? You know what I mean? Like, it's...
0: Yeah. No, I know. It's it's it's, it's really difficult, man. And like, one thing that like... By my... the way,
1: that's that, that was a tough example because there's, there's another component to this, <laughs> which is like the Raiders moved out of Oakland also. And there's a tough reality, which is that Oakland is demographically very different from San Francisco, um, and that sucks. Like that sucks that yeah. baseball already has a, uh, like the players are a lower percentage black just about every year. And to take a team out of what we would call without, like, I mean, there's inner city areas that we don't call inner city. We don't really call like downtown San Francisco an inner city area that has a different meaning when we talk about it but to take it out of a traditionally black city take baseball out of that city that does suck i would like to acknowledge that especially when i made i said take it to utah i don't the mormons don't deserve it more than oakland okay that's that not what i'm their, saying that
0: was their other option was either vegas <laughs> or utah so you know it could it, it still might end up that way we don't even know man like sure. this this is far from over at this point all right uh, we got to we got to talk about some other subjects. We got
1: some levity coming, folks. I might just have to. i to start chaptering these on YouTube so that you could, we could, you could skip forward to some laughs if you need to. <laughs>
0: Can we just quickly just acknowledge that two teams won championships without talking about it? Because I don't, I don't think anyone cares. The Nuggets win the NBA championship. Yes. The Golden Knights win the NHL championship. Congrats to you guys, first timers. It is nice to see two first timers win, but beyond that, who cares?
1: Yeah, it is. I also what I like about this podcast and about sports podcasts with a comedy bent to them is like analyzing a championship is so boring to me.
0: It's really boring. Uh, yeah, they were really fucking good all yeah, year.
1: Yeah, they were good. <laughs> oh, Nikola Jokic, the guy that's like the best player in basketball now. Oh, he won finals MVP and deserved it probably. Oh, OK. Yeah, I guess let's fucking talk about that for 45 minutes.
0: OK, I think we can like these next two topics. I, I think they they combine into one very nicely because they, in both situations, do. someone gets knocked down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to start with, uh, and this is, this is funny because this story came to me originally as, uh, um, I'm going to switch to my, uh, I guess we'll do it. This is from the road hacks golf account, by the way. So check that out. Roadhacks golf. Uh, they can't, so I heard about this originally because, uh, the guy, and I'm, I'm just gonna play it in the background. There's a guy doing I couldn't find like a clean version of this video. So um there was a the guy uh <laughs>
0: you it's, see it's a funny video. Yeah. So the
1: Canadian Open ends on like a seventy two like a fourth playoff hole seventy two foot putt. And hey, then, Nick Taylor,
0: former yeah, University of Washington Husky.
1: Hey, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Nick
0: Taylor wins it, yep.
1: So that's like an amazing – like if you watch the putt, it's amazing. But then like a couple – like 45 minutes later, I get this notification to my phone, and it's this story that Adam Hadwin had been tackled by a security guard while trying to celebrate, which this is not a – is this a common thing in professional golf for like guys who didn't win the tournament? Because you're not on teams unless you're a live golfer, right?
0: Yeah, it's very strange. I don't know. I I haven't seen – stuck around for a lot of like – post round ceremonies but i think sure. this was just such an epic victory you know nick taylor he's not like a big name golfer he's younger this is a big win for him winning the canadian open and then to do it in such dramatic fashion you know this heightened emotion for this sort of thing and his buddy just wants to come out there Whose but his buddy who's also a professional golfer comes running yeah. out onto the green during the ceremony with a bottle of champagne shaking it up and spraying it everywhere and this security guard must have seen weapon Or something. I don't know. He 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 thought this was this Hadwin was coming out there to cause harm, and he just comes running around everybody and Mm -hmm. throws him to the ground. It's a great tackle. There's another. There's another video I saw that was either being shot by Hadwin or it had to be by Hadwin because I don't think anyone's around him. Uh, but when you see the security guard running directly at the camera, (laughs) he looks like a defensive end man, because he like, first of all, there's a crowd in front of him. He quickly like swim moves around the entire crowd. So he gets around a bunch of people and then he just launches himself at this. If you're a security guard, this is like the dream come true. He, he
1: rapped uh, and drove. That was like the, the form on the tackle itself is great.
0: It's a penalty in the NFL. It, it'd be a body weight tackle on the quarterback. If it was on the quarterback, he drove his body weight into him into the yeah. And did you see that Hadwin is now injured because of this? Is he? What is his injury? He dislocated his shoulder as a result of this tackle.
1: <laughs> oh my God. I feel like this this has potential to be like was that guy's name, uh, Orlando Brown, the the Who got referee? Hit by the flag. Yeah. yeah. That uh where it's like this could be a career altering injury and they're, you know well, the the other funny thing about this to me is because this you think of professional sports and you think of the stars. I don't think the Canadian Open is packed with stars. I don't think like no. I know th- I know there's like PGA Canada and it's like most of these other like outlying PGA tours, these other like foreign country tours operate as like a minor leagues. So what what happened here is the security guard didn't recognize him. So like this right. isn't like this would this is like if uh not if Gary Payton came onto the court to celebrate. This would be like if Steve <laughs> Scheffler came on the but if Steve Scheffler probably too tall. It's got to be someone who's like not obviously yeah, playing I mean, that golfer, sport.
0: Golfers in general are very nondescript. You know, yes. in most other sports, athletes kind of stand out. You know, in basketball, it's easy to tell this guy's super tall. Okay, he's a basketball player. Football, this dude's jacked up. He's probably a football player, right? In golf, they just look like every other dude. So and and no one knows what Adam Hadwin looks like, you know, unless exactly. you're like the most hardcore golfer out there. So all these dudes saw was a guy running at everybody frantically spraying something, shooting something. And he, he did what he was trained to do. He yep. threw him to the ground. And like I said, it's the dream come true. If you're a security guard, you're like, you're telling me I get to take somebody out today? It just so happened he picked the wrong guy. It's on everybody else for not like giving him like, you know, <laughs> usually you see people have like a lanyard or something that signifies access right. so that they can be here. Like you had to give him something, put like a little flag on him or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's a little bit, it's kind of even more dream come true than when there's like a streaker, because the problem with a streaker is it's a naked person you have to tackle. They are a person who's going to just crumble (laughs) under a hit. Almost always. I've never seen a streaker get tackled and not just absolutely crumble, but they, this is like a, a guy who has his clothes on. It's, this is the ultimate dream
0: yeah I mean like a streaker somebody on the field there's two parts that are exciting for anyone watching it first obviously the moment they decide they're gonna run onto the playing surface very exciting yes while they're looting everybody very exciting but of course we're all waiting for the same thing even though this person is our hero right now in just a few seconds the other side will be our heroes (laughs) when they tackle this man and hurt him so badly on the tackle hopefully Cause he you know he gets what's coming to him. yeah these are these are uh, they're spectator sports really. Back in the day when I used to uh, when I used to work retail, I worked in a place where I was right by the exit and this was a big department store. So I'm right by the exit and like I, plenty of times I'd seen people walk out this door stealing, often with loss prevention tailing them. And I always thought my dream would have been if loss prevention shouted at me to stop them, which they never would do because they're solely responsible for taking down any criminals in this situation. Sure. But I just hope like, hey, maybe there would come a day where I'd be standing there and I'd see someone running towards this and they'd say, Alex, get him. And I was going to give this guy everything. everything. Yeah. I don't care. I was going to throw all my body weight into this person. If I missed, I missed. If I screwed it up, I screwed it up, but I was going to give it a hundred percent. That's the dream come true, man. That's all you want to do.
1: Uh, if you're a streaker, I think the only option is to die a hero or live long enough to become the villain, but you might also become the villain while you die. Like there's no such thing as dying. You can't be a streaker for very long is the problem.
0: <laughs> I've never seen anyone escape, you know, they yeah. even though these they often seem to have a plan and like, they're going to like run up through the crowd or something. I've never seen it actually happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the thing is everyone knows they're going to get caught. I've don't. i don't, I've never had that, like, uh, level of nihilism that I could completely, like, divorce myself from the consequences, <laughs> nor have I ever had a body that I felt deserved to streak, you know what I mean? Like, it's even in like my you... best shape, I was like, no one needs yeah. to see my my, like, I can't imagine my penis would be in an impressive state when it's in front of <laughs> 55,000 fans, you know what I mean?
0: It's a cold night. be tough all right (laughs) and then the other we got to talk about the other one
1: combat sports baby in non-traditional combat sports settings hold on let's uh i'll pull it up
0: um this is a product of the nba finals really if you're like and don't care about the nba finals this is the highlight of the nba finals
1: are you, you? You probably aren't catching audio off this, are you? I am. Yeah, I heard. Oh, okay, it. hold on. I got to put make it go through my headphones at least because it was going through. Uh, all right, here
0: we go. Not that audio on this is necessarily important. If you haven't seen the video, you got to go out oh, that was and loud. watch Connor McGregor destroy the Miami Heat mascot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even right. know what their mascot is. It's just the heat. Mercy!
1: So look, I'm gonna try to start this right over. Oh, here we go. Okay, let's get this. Get some
0: title on yourself, baby.
1: Thank you, Give me the title up. Put the title on. You'll be okay. There goes Muriel. Come on, thank you very much. Appreciate
0: it. I'm here to do Mercy! You can't Birdie! often tell that. A person in a mascot costume is injured, but you can tell this time because <laughs> yeah. Connor, they're doing some stupid stunt with this. Like they want to involve Connor McGregor because he's there and the mascots, you know, going to play like some prank on Connor McGregor. And then he's going to knock the mascot down with the punch, except he is a trained professional fighter. So asking him to throw a punch is not a good idea in any it's capacity. Perilous. And he gives it his all. I mean, he throws two punches with 100% of his force like he was supposed to make a billion dollars off knocking this guy out yeah and this poor guy he gets sent to the hospital
1: yeah so that that's uh obviously that's our um or my question is i have a couple questions one it's obvious that uh it's the concussion occurs i think on the fall which is what they always say about uh, like football helmets don't stop concussions neither do mascot heads apparently uh, i mean
0: yeah if you square this guy up in the mascot head I, you know obviously uh, if you're conor mcgregor you're probably thinking okay this big old mascot head is gonna like cushion any blow i deliver to it yeah but you also should know where to punch on the mascot head like you know generally like usually the person's face is like at the mascot's mouth level right yeah and that's like exactly where he punched him it's like he he was given this opportunity to knock somebody out in public and he decided i'm gonna take it i haven't had enough of
1: that in my career yet i need to do it to a a non-fighter
0: yeah and so he did it and then the second punch seemed unnecessary the 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 mascot's laying on the ground clearly like dazed from this hit and mcgregor walks over to it and just delivers another punch right to the face for no reason
1: (laughs) i i have to pee really quick okay can you find something to talk about for a couple minutes so
0: i don't have to edit we can talk about your tiny bladder. <laughs> no, we can edit.
1: Can't you? Okay, yeah. I peed remarkably fast. That
0: it's, was very quick. Are you doing I know. It? I was.
1: I can't even. I wish that I could. Uh, I wish that without, you know, violating YouTube rules, I could have brought the webcam in and shown the just absolute power <laughs> behind the, the, the pressure <laughs> washing the wa- I just I gave, gave the bottom of the pee. toilet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: At least you only have to edit out like a minute. Yeah.
1: It <laughs> uh, <laughs> was very uh, easy
0: all right uh we got to play the home run game
1: is that is that our last uh our last time last to- last it is time. That's our holy last shit it would just we're gonna blur- try
0: to keep this at a reasonable time today wow for everybody we,
1: if i hadn't peed we'd have we'd be maybe under 90 minutes the we, the dream it's possible oh wait well, no good. we have we have one more topic we have our local topic that's uh we is oh wait did it I not put it in? Home run. <laughs> Fuck me in the ass. Okay, I'm going to show you the, the last thing I wanted to talk about is the ESPN put out a ranking of the core players, and I, I hope that I'm not going to get in trouble for uh, including this. I mean, I can't imagine enough people are going to watch this that I'll be in trouble, but I'm going to just share the the actual article. So this is um this is the core the rankings of core players for all the franchises.
0: And have you seen this article yet? All the NFL franchises. No, I have not. Uh, so, if I you were going to guess,
1: it. where would you guess the Seattle Seahawks are ranked on this uh, on this list?
0: Uh, bottom half for sure. I would have okay. to think. I would say maybe right around like fifteen. Mid.
1: This, this guy just can't guess wrong. That's the thing. Fourteen. They are fourteen. Okay. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. They're like so these really- are. They're good at other positions besides quarterback. That's why. Sorry, I, it wasn't.
1: Know, I, I, it was core, not quarterback.
0: Uh, no, I get it. I'm, that's mm. what I'm saying. Like, but I would have to imagine that an article like this, the the most important part of any team's core would be like the ones that have the best quarterbacks. Which sure. it seems as you're scrolling through this, that is exactly the case. Yeah. It's just the Seahawks happen to be. You know, they have very good young players at tailback, at uh, on the line. Their line is actually pretty good now, at least on the, the two ends. I don't don't think they're uh,
1: counting, by the way, I don't think they're counting uh, the tailbacks. By the way, what is it, 1973? What are you talking about, (laughs) tailbacks? Uh, uh, And
0: then their receivers are obviously, you know, they got DK, they got Tyler Lockett, they got the best receiver in this year's draft. So, yeah, they've got a pretty good core.
1: Yeah, so this is, uh, and they don't even have, by the way, Jackson Jackson uh boy I, I'm gonna Jackson struggle Jackson with the name and I can't I'm not articulate enough right now to trust myself uh going through that name uh they don't even have him included on this yeah so so 14th I, yeah I agree there's probably a big penalty on put on Geno Smith on here I'm, I'm going through I'd like to just go through these real quickly with you and see if there's a quarterback on the list ahead of the Seahawks that you would you would not yeah, take. I can,
0: already, I can already see one who's got a worse core, and it's the one right ahead of the Seahawks, the Vikings. So like they just cut their best running back. They cut Dalvin Cook. Yeah, so uh, they're Kirk obviously Cousins not. Terrible. They're not
1: uh They're not respecting the tailback <laughs> position. God, do you, well, are I mean, you fucking it's, it's, Bear Bryant? It, what look, a, look, the, at,
0: look at the roster? Look at the roster core for the Vikings that they call out. You got Kirk Cousins, who's bad and costs way more money than Geno Smith. He, got, he is
1: expensive, but I don't. I don't I, I bet he's not as bad as you he's think. He's bad.
0: He's not that good. They call that a lot. Would line you take here? Trevor
1: Lawrence over uh yes, over Geno Smith? Okay. Without so without the the massage allegations, Deshaun Watson?
0: I don't know if I would take Deshaun
1: oh, Watson. You're crazy. Gino,
0: no, not solely based on the cost. He's way too expensive. Yeah, that's but fair. That's the fair. The thing about the thing about Geno is uh he doesn't He's
1: cost, cost controlled you're right yeah, and so you're if you can right.
0: decide next year if you want to spend a high draft pick on a quarterback you can absolutely afford to do that
1: so I think if you're taking cost out of it I think that every quarterback on this list except for arguably um arguably Kirk Cousins I would say I'd probably if you if they were if they cost the same I would probably take Kirk Cousins uh the the one question so the the one caveat to this is that the 49ers do not have a quarterback on their core <laughs> uh which is makes sense i mean they're uh they're kind of stuck in this limbo with Brock Purdy coming back from injury and Trey Lance coming back from injury and probably you know somewhat you know reasonably disgruntled uh they they have some limbo there um i think that this is it seems to me like Everybody above the Seahawks, except for the 49ers, I would take their quarterback if cost was the same. I don't know if I'd take Tua. Yeah, Tua is tough.
0: The, it's funny that the Dolphins are ranked fourth when their quarterback might not even be able to continue playing in the NFL beyond you know, yeah. his next big hit. Right. I know that's true. So it's like, they do have good receivers. They do have uh, a good cornerback and Jalen Ramsey and they have an offensive tackle, but they might not have a quarterback next year.
1: It's true. That's a good point. And uh, yeah, that's, and that to have them ranked that high with that big of a, that big of a question mark, I, I do agree. But yeah, above that, it seems like, I mean, it's, it's still a quarterback driven league is the point. I, I think we kind of have like started to, I think Seattle is fooling themselves into thinking you can be like a running game and defense uh, yeah. team. And it's, it's just like, that's such a short spurt where you can be that, that uh, hopefully that, but also they don't need, I mean, I, I think that realistically, probably, I don't know. I guess I don't know when Pete Carroll's going to retire. Cause I would have assumed it would have happened by now. So um, Dude, he's
0: just, he's, he's going to live forever. It's like, uh, I don't know if you ever walk, watched uh, parks and rec, but uh
1: I didn't because I watched no, it. Okay. I tried to watch it. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my brief Parks and Rec. I tried to watch it right yeah. after watching The Office, and it's just such a toothless yeah. version of The Office. It at is. least season first, one is.
0: The first two seasons of Parks and Rec are god awful. Okay. I would I would actually I would recommend anybody if you were gonna start watching the show just start at season three because in season three they introduce two new characters. Uh, one is played by Adam Scott, who's a pretty good actor, and one's played by Rob Lowe, who everybody knows. And Rob Lowe's character, his name is Chris Traeger, and he has this quote. He's just like this hyper positive human being in the show, and he has a quote about uh, scientists believe that the the first person to live to 150 years old has already been born, and I believe that person is me. That's Pete Carroll. Yeah. Every weird. time I see that quote, I'm like, that is Pete Carroll. He might live to be 150.
1: What do you think the odds are? And I and fact factor in your best knowledge of the actuarial tables of a, of a man of. Pete Carroll's age, but that he becomes the oldest coach to ever coach in the NFL, uh, like when he retires. Because is he, is Belichick older than him or is he older than Belichick?
0: I think Pete's the oldest uh, because he's about to be 72. Let's see. How old is Belichick? I don't think he's, is he No, Belichick's Belichick's the same age. He's also 71. Okay. So they're they're 16th. Pete Carroll. Belichick just looks like he could drop dead at any moment though I mean that's the thing about Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll is like so full of life. I've never seen a more energetic 72 year old.
1: I think that Belichick is older
0: okay yeah I, I still think Pete would outlast him I mean just look at their body types. Bill Belichick's no I'm wrong like- I'm
1: wrong it's he's uh, <laughs> I had the wrong year my bad my bad
0: okay. either way Belichick still looks like he enjoys you know a sandwich every now and then and sure. Pete looks like he enjoys running three miles every day. You know, so you
1: think? Do you, who do you think will coach? So two things: you think Pete will retire as the oldest coach in the history of the NFL? I think it's very today. possible.
0: Yeah, unless he just chooses to walk away on his own accord. But there's always like every now and then you find those guys that just stick around even when they shouldn't. I don't know if that's going to be Pete. I think Pete is perfectly capable of still coaching for a few more years if he wants sure. to. And then so.
1: the other question is: Do you think at that time Bill Belichick will have retired? Or will he shortly thereafter overtake Pete Carroll as the oldest coach in the history of the NFL?
0: Man, that's tough. I think I think uh, Pete will outlast Belichick, so he will okay. be the oldest by, by okay. default, since we now learned he's slightly older.
1: Yeah, he's eight months older or something like that.
0: Okay, perfect.
1: Um, Okay, home run game. I'm going to let you go first because I need to think of a...
0: <laughs> okay, I've got a good one here. I uh, we mentioned this person last week when we were doing the home run game, and I was hopeful that you hadn't gone and looked this person up for any reason recently, which you may have. And if you have, I would hope you would nobly tell me that I'll tell you did you, I'll that tell you. and respect the game. But uh, last week I gave you Paul Sorrento, and then we we briefly mentioned that he replaced Tino Martinez at first base for the Mariners. So this week I was like, who's better than Tino Martinez to give you? Um, oh wow yeah exactly tino had a pretty good career uh he ends up playing 16 years in the major leagues uh obviously he starts his career with the mariners plays with the mariners through 95 goes to the yankees through 2001 and then he kind of goes on a little adventure in the last four seasons of his career he plays two years in st louis plays a season in tampa and then his final season 2005 he actually goes back to the yankees so he uh, he played a very long time. He was a very productive player, uh, actually makes a couple all-star teams. You, you have mentioned in the past the Hall of Very Good. I think Tino would be a first ballot Hall of Very Gooder. Yeah, uh, Mostly because of the Yankees affiliation, if we're being honest. Those guys are always – they get an inflated value just by being part of that franchise. But Sure. He, he also good. put
1: up some great offensive numbers in Seattle, which were probably also aided by the franchise as opposed to his – like God-given talent that was yeah. like the the the. he was in Seattle the years where the kingdom and the lineup just allowed for incredible offensive production yeah because he was he was in Seattle through 96 is that right
0: he was through 95 so through 95 okay and then left you know Sorrento that's still yeah he doesn't really play with Alex Rodriguez much but obviously there's Griffey Edgar Buner. You know, that heart of the lineup was strong. And How he's many in the years middle did you say that. he played? He plays a total of 16 years in the major leagues.
1: And what's his debut year?
0: His debut year is 1990 with the okay. Mariners. And then his final year is 2005 with the Yankees.
1: So I'm doing, I'm going to give you the Alex method. I think he's uh, probably... You know, a couple years at the beginning, he was a little less. A couple of years, at the, blah, 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 uh, 30-ish home runs. I had him as a 30-ish home run guy. I think he maybe had one year where he like really cranked it up for a year, but not. I don't remember him ever being a, a 50 guy. I don't think he ever had a 50 home run year. I suspect that if he had a 40 home run year, it was one. So I'm going to put Tino Martinez at 325 home runs.
0: 325 is very close. Oh, that's
1: uh, great to hear. It's always, I'm always worried when I say it that I'm like, oh, yeah, I regret it immediately. I, I
0: kind of thought if you went through the process correctly with this one, you would be close because sure. I think Tino's expected home runs are right about where you would think if you kind of pegged the number right as far as what you thought his average season was. He had 339 home runs, so you're Damn. only yeah. Price is right rules. You are in great shape. You're yes. under by 14. I'm winning Tino there.
1: Martinez and headed to the showcase showdown.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's uh, you were you were more or less correct. He averages his one, 162 game average on home runs is 27, so that's pretty pretty close to the 30 that you pegged. Yeah. um, you were right. He did. It's funny because in when we were looking at Paul Serrano last week, 1997 with the Mariners was his most productive season, uh, and it just so happened that 1997 was Tino Martinez's most productive season as well. <laughs> yeah, he had 44 home runs that year. Uh, his OPS in 97 is 948, which Damn. is also uh, a high figure for him. So, in his career, OPS was 815, very good.
1: Well, that's also in old Yankee Stadium, which is like a it different yeah. situation than now.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, even like in, with the Mariners, so the two years he makes the All Star team, 95 with the Mariners and 97 with the Yankees. In 95 with the Mariners, he has 31 home runs. He has an OPS of 920. So, that's basically it's his second best season after that 97 season. Uh, But just a really productive first baseman. The interesting thing about Tino is his first two years with the Mariners, 90 and 91, he didn't play a whole lot. Um, 92, he becomes a full-time player. 93 and 94, his production play tapers off a little bit. I think he might've had some injuries in there. Um, But, at the end of his career, like his last season with the Yankees, he still plays 131 games. So unlike Damn. most of these guys, the only thing I thought might, might uh, hurt you would be at the end of the career. He doesn't taper off the way that some of the other guys do. So he's right. still, still pretty productive towards the end. He even had 17 home runs in that last season. So it's not like the production fell off that much. Yeah. I think um,
1: he, his deal was, I think he was just like maybe the most consistent guy we've like, the valleys are high and the peaks are low.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, he was – I mean, I remember when when we basically lost him after the 95 season, it felt like the Mariners were making a big mistake. He was 27 in 1995, so he's basically entering his prime at that point. His numbers with the Yankees seem to indicate that. And um, obviously he became a much more notable Yankee than a Mariner, I'm
1: sure. And if he plays in a different era, 300 home runs is enough to – get him into the hall of fame and if he doesn't which he didn't he plays in a very you know high productivity offensive era he's yeah yep. hall of very good i think that's a good i wish someone didn't own the hall of very good uh <laughs> name because it's a perfect name for this kind of thing where it's like yep. i would love to to you know talk about tino martinez for seven hours but unfortunately <laughs> i think my wife would leave me if i did that uh <laughs> Okay, I got a name for you. It's another one of these names. My move is either uh, former Mariners or guys who feel like they spiritually were Mariners at some point, even though they weren't. Guys that I just remember in uh, trade conversations all the time. Guys that I maybe wanted to be Mariners, but never were. Guys that feel like they could have played for like uh, a high school in Seattle or something like that. This guy does feel that way to me. On the surface, he's none of these things. In fact. He uh, played most of his career with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, 12 seasons. Can you guess the person I'm talking about based on that information? It's 12 pro-
0: seasons with the Phillies? Kind uh, of felt like he
1: was always on the verge of being traded. What, Spiritually is like did he play? Can get a Mariner's outfielder. I mean, that narrows it down quite a bit, but it's a, uh, yeah, he's an, an outfielder.
0: Outfielder for the Phillies for 12 years? Oh, no, man. no, he
1: didn't play for the Phillies for 12 years. He played 12 seasons. And most of oh, notably, players. for was
0: it Matt Stairs?
1: No, it's Pat wow. Burrell. But I feel like oh, Matt okay. Stairs Pat is Burrell. another guy that probably should have been a, yeah. a Mariner at some point. Pat um, Burrell
0: was a huge prospect and he actually yeah. he ended up having a pretty good career. But I just remember the hype around him before he even made the major leagues was huge.
1: Yeah. It seems like all those guys now outside of like, I mean, I think Bryce Harper has lived up to it, but like Steven Strasburg obviously had his, his struggles, um, uh, with injuries like, uh, Jason Hayward is a guy who like, this is the next Griffey. This is the guy. And
0: Merle, I think he was, he might've been a really good college player. Sure. And then on top of that, he's just like the prototype. He's big. You know, he's yep. a big dude. He looks like he should be one of the best players in baseball. And for a short time he was. I mean, he was about as good as he got in that Phillies lineup. So you yep. said he played he ended up playing twelve seasons total.
1: Twelve seasons. And I, and I I wanna I'm interested to find out. I'm gonna pull up his minor league stats also. He played almost exclusively left field. And a guy like him with that prospect status. You usually expect those guys to at least play some center field at some point because he's like a you know he's big but also athletic. Yeah, number two I mean, prospect going into the year two thousand.
0: Yeah, that was before like uh, left field got such a bad rap. You yeah, know? like true. once like Moneyball came about and like we started really getting into advanced statistics, people were like, "Oh, you can pretty much put anybody out there and they'll survive."
1: Yeah, so he didn't. Uh, you, this isn't a surprise, but he doesn't spend a lot of time in the minor leagues and plays right. in the minors. He plays actually more first base than yeah. outfield, but I think that's probably if I'm if I was guessing, I'd get now that I a lot of that's early in his career. That's surprising. Uh, anyway, yeah. not okay. exclusively a left fielder, but never a center fielder.
0: Yeah, Pat Burrell, I would say he probably was like close to like 25 to 30 home runs on average. I would think. Um, I think he more or less played to the end. Like he wasn't one of those guys. I think being that he only played 12 years, he probably had some injuries in there, but I don't recall him like really tapering off at the end. So he was probably close to playing full seasons all the way through. And if he was getting, let's say he got 30 a year at 12 years, probably more like 11 years. So that'd be like three, just over 300. But I don't know that he got over 300 uh i'm gonna say he got 260 home runs
1: okay you were so close at the beginning yeah you kept circling around it i was gonna be very upset (laughs) if you fucking stuck it 292 home runs when you started to say 300 but i don't think he quite got to 300 i was like if you put the exact number on this i'm gonna be so pissed or even like within the 10 you said 260
0: yeah, I was hedging it too much. I was hedging yeah. it too much. I'm, yeah, I'm you there.
1: you I think like you still made a little bit of the calculation of the the end of career fall off, which he did have, by the way, in his uh his last two seasons a combined uh twenty seven home runs.
0: Okay, yeah, not that many. I, I just kinda was he in I feel like he got hurt a lot. Maybe he didn't.
1: He so yeah, that's why I, think I, that's was, why I was
0: hedging it was because of the injuries. I assume there was more injuries than there were. So he
1: comes up in 2000, which is, isn't it insane to imagine that Pat Burrell came up in 2000? 2000 seems so recent for guys of our age. (laughs) And uh, he comes up in 2000 and has an entire Major League Baseball career and has been retired for 12 years since the year 2000. Uh he played like a partial season then, but probably just because he came up late would be my guess. And yeah. then he actually plays, I mean, 146 games uh, is his lowest until he played 127 in 2004.
0: Yeah, I'm then, looking at him now. Yeah, he basically played full.
1: Oh, you froze. You froze. Two things the...
0: working against him. Either he uh, wasn't living up to the hype or he was just, you know, something. Something was going wrong here, injuries where he just wasn't the guy that we thought he would be. Sure.
1: I don't know if uh, I don't know what the crowd is gonna see. You froze on my end for a moment, but uh, no. <laughs> so so he gets he's fourth in the rookie of the year voting two times received MVP votes, but yeah, never, I think you were saying he never lived up to his potential, but he played on some of those great Phillies teams with like uh, I think Shane Victorino was on most of those teams. Roy Halliday yeah. was probably on some of those teams. Um, Ryan Howard. I did see a thing the other day, Ryan Howard still holds records for like the fastest to uh 100 and 200 and 300 home runs, I believe.
0: Wow. Yeah, I believe it. He was a, he was a really good hitter. That's a guy that now we can't use him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh yeah, he's ryan howard because i mean i guess he- we
0: could i'm gonna look him up right now so yeah we so can't you're he's go, off the you're table. taking him off
1: the list uh he's
0: off the table. he had to be like a close to a 500 home run man nah, not really 382 382 less than i would have thought lower career war than pat burrell as it turns out
1: yeah they don't like first baseman very much let's say that's uh, true that's true uh, defensively
0: he's a liability
1: yeah, or at least isn't providing a ton of value. But so Pat Burrell wins two World Series, one with the Phillies, and then one in uh, his second to last year of baseball with the San Francisco Giants. The aforementioned World Series-winning San Francisco Giants taking fans away from the Oakland Athletics. Pat Burrell directly responsible. <laughs> for ruining baseball in Oakland.
0: He was really productive with the Giants, too, because he comes over, it looks like he comes over mid-season from Tampa, where he wasn't doing a whole lot. And then he gets to San Francisco and puts up an 872 OPS in 96 games, though. That's pretty good for a guy at that point in his career.
1: Yeah, 18 home runs in a pitcher's park, a right-handed hitter in a pitcher's park that's really tough on well really tough on everybody but i think was particularly tough on righties like yeah pat burrell legit very good baseball player another hall of very good guy we, he, I mean, we, he,
0: he must have got injured at the oh yeah he, he gets injured at the end he retires due to a chronic injury because i was like he retires his last season he's only 34 years old which right. for the produ- productivity he had seems young but he had a chronic foot injury gotcha so, sorry sorry about that pat do
1: you think he got it barbecuing
0: <laughs> he cooked it in a George Foreman grill like Michael <laughs> Scott.
1: All right. <laughs> thanks thanks everybody.
0: All right. Good show. I was-